Welcome to the podcast. I'm Shira Schoenberg. The U.S. Supreme Court recently issued several major decisions, eliminating the constitutional right to an abortion, rolling back some state restrictions on gun licenses, and limiting the power of the Environmental Protection Agency to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. Massachusetts's Democratic U.S. Senator Ed Markey has been at the forefront of calling for change in the Senate and in the court. Thank you so much, Senator Markey, for joining me on the podcast. No, it's so great to be with you. Thank you. After Roe v. Wade was overturned, you referred to, and I'll quote, a stolen, illegitimate, and far-right majority, end quote, on the Supreme Court. Why undermine the legitimacy of the Supreme Court when the justices were nominated and confirmed according to the process laid out by law? Well, uh, the reality is that the Republicans stole two Supreme Court seats. Uh, and, uh, and those justices now are part of a majority which is aiming to systematically undermine the progressive decisions that have been made over two generations in our country. Uh, listen, I, I wish this wasn't necessary, but our system is broken and the court is facing a crisis of legitimacy. And that's what I want Americans listening today to understand. So we need to expand the Supreme Court to reclaim those two seats or otherwise the decisions which just happened, and you made reference to them on Roe v. Wade, on climate, on gun safety, are just a preview of coming atrocities that are going to be emanating from the Supreme Court. So if we don't expand the Supreme Court to reclaim those two seats, then we should expect 15 years of similar decisions, all of it because of historically um, unethical uh, behavior by the Republican Party led by Donald Trump and by Mitch McConnell, but it's resulted in six to three and five to four decisions that are fundamentally at odds with the values in our country. And you've called for packing the court. You said you want to add potentially four more justices to the Supreme Court, bringing its numbers from nine to 13. Why would you do that? Well, the reality is that the uh, Supreme Court is already packed. It got packed by Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump when they stole those two seats. What some people say is, why should we take any action? And the answer is, if a bully steals your lunch money and you don't do anything, they're coming back for more the next time. So the Republicans stole two seats, just imagine what they'll do in the next 10 years if we do nothing to restore the court's balance. The Republicans refused to give Merrick Garland a hearing and a vote that he was rightfully owed. Uh, and that obstructionist and that unprecedented act began to truly destroy the confirmation process. They did the same thing with Amy Coney Barrett. We were voting on her confirmation with two weeks left to go in the election in 2020. Just absolutely a violation of the so-called McConnell rule that we wouldn't act on a Supreme Court justice in an election year. So the cost of inaction is simply too great. We can't let the bullies come back for our lunch money again. We have to act. But isn't there a danger that if the Democrats try to add justices now, Republicans will try to fill those seats when they have the opportunity, or the Republicans will try to add even more justices to try to even it out? 
isn't there just some danger that if you change that political process, the other side could take advantage of it? They've already done it and they will continue to do it. Again, the only alternative is to just ex accept the fact that for the next 15 years, right-wing Republican justices who are relatively young on the Supreme Court will undermine everything. They will undermine, for example, as Justice uh, Thomas said in his uh, concurring opinion, they'll undermine the right to contraception in our country. They'll undermine the right to same-sex marriage in our country. But it goes far beyond that. It goes to undermining, for example, the ability of the FDA to protect against e-cigarettes, undermining the health of the children in our country. It undermines issue after issue that goes right to the core of the health and safety of our nation. So we actually don't have a choice because we don't wanna wait 15 years. The country can't wait 15 years. The health and safety of our country can't wait 15 years. The civil rights, voting rights of our country can't wait 15 more years. We have to do something and do it now. It's an emergency. So the one way that everybody agrees you can address some of these decisions is if Congress were to act. For example, if Congress were to pass a bill that would legalize abortion nationwide. And in order to get something like this passed, which so far Congress hasn't been able to do, you've also called for abolishing the filibuster. And that's the rule that requires 60 votes rather than a simple majority to pass something in the Senate. Why do you want to do that? Well, the filibuster is arcane, but it's preventing the Senate from acting on the will of the American people many, many times over. Uh, if you have to get 60 votes to do anything in our country with Republicans totally controlled by Mitch McConnell not giving us any shot at getting 60 votes to pass anything. If we don't repeal the filibuster, and by the way, another way of saying filibuster is saying you need 60 votes to pass something, not 51 votes. Well, that gives Mitch McConnell control of the United States Senate in perpetuity. So the only answer is to repeal the filibuster, lower it from 60 votes down to 51 votes, then we can pass the legislation that we need to expand the Supreme Court. But I would also say to also protect Roe versus Wade, to also protect our climate, to also uh, protect the gun safety laws of Massachusetts uh, and, uh, and other states around the country uh, and so many other areas as well. So from my perspective, the filibuster is this Jim Crow relic from an earlier era that now has come to haunt our nation in the 21st century, and we just have to put an end to it. So let me ask you though, the same question that I asked about packing the court. Isn't there then a danger that there'll be another election, Republicans might have 51 or 52 seats in the Senate, and they can then pass legislation that you disagree with, for example, trying to ban abortion nationwide? Well, look at the Republicans have packed the Supreme Court. The Democrats and my legislation aims to balance the Supreme Court so that we return to the historic balance which we have. There's of course nothing that we can do if the Republicans continue to be controlled by the Donald Trump ideology, but the least that we should be able to do 
is during the period of time when we have the power that we ensure that there is balance on the Supreme Court. And maybe, just maybe, we'll reach a day where the Republican Party returns to its senses uh, and we can act within the boundaries of the traditional balance system that we've had at the Supreme Court uh, over the years. Mitch McConnell has no limits. He doesn't respect precedent or process. Uh, he showed that when he packed the court, uh, he shows it every day on the floor of the United States Senate. So we have to act now in order to protect everything that we believe in in this country. Otherwise, it's on the chopping block. And Justice Thomas, in his concurring opinion, made it very clear what the preview of coming atrocities looks like in its contraception, its same-sex marriage, its interracial marriage. Uh, but again, as I said, it goes right to e-cigarettes. It goes to how you control uh, climate, how you control um, uh, tobacco, how you control anything in our society. They're ready to eviscerate uh, the safeguards that have been put in place uh, to protect ordinary families. And we have to do something and do it now. And we'll get to some of those specific decisions in a moment. But I want to ask you just one more question about process. In the old days, the filibuster would be addressed by bipartisanship. The idea is you need to get 60 votes, so you have to work across aisle and get support from members of the other party for your legislation. Is bipartisanship just dead today? I think it's um, very important for everyone to understand that when we're talking about, for example, climate action, we're talking about all 50 Republicans saying no. When we're talking about Rachel Rollins being the U.S. attorney for the state of Massachusetts, all 50 Republicans say no. So we have to focus on the Republican Party of today, who they are, how they're acting, and what the implications are for our state and for our nation. So we're being seriously adversely impacted. We fight through it to do our own best in protecting women's rights and climate and making sure that Rachel Rollins does get the votes that she needs, but it's with Kamala Harris having to come up to the Senate to break the tie. But Republicans right now are within the grip of a right-wing ideology that has them terrified. And that ideology is Donald Trump. And they are petrified every day of him and the repercussions for their personal careers if they cross him. So talking about climate change and the environment, the U.S. Supreme Court decision said that the EPA can't regulate greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. So obviously climate change impacts all of us, but what if anything does this ruling mean for Massachusetts specifically? So we have a five alarm climate fire and this decision by an illegitimate captured and far right Supreme Court majority has handed us a leaky bucket to deal with this crisis. Uh, and what the decision does is it narrows the EPA's authority, rightfully granted by Congress, to reduce emissions and carbon pollution from power plants. And the federal agencies continue to have solid legal footing and an urgent obligation to use their full authority to combat the climate crisis. And I think it was very important yesterday that President Biden go to Somerset, Massachusetts. I joined him there where he made it clear that his intention is to take bold executive action to address the climate crisis and 
record heat waves. And I think the fact that he came to Massachusetts shows uh, that he views us as the cutting edge of this intersection of the pivot from a coal and fossil fuel-based uh, era to one of renewable energy. And Massachusetts has to continue to be the leader. And there was some criticism of the president with regards to the actions he announced in Massachusetts that he did too little, that these were fairly minor actions. More people wanted him to, for example, declare a state of emergency on climate. Do you think the president needs to do more to combat climate change? Or is the onus on you in Congress and in the Senate to act? Well, I, I joined President Biden in uh, Massachusetts uh, because he made clear his commitment to taking bold executive action to address the climate crisis and record heat waves. He said it was an emergency. He said he was prepared to take you know, strong executive actions. And I think that yesterday was just the beginning. And uh, he made very clear that he's going to roll out executive action after executive action in the months to come uh, that are going to substitute for thus far the failure of Congress to act to deal with the climate crisis. So uh, I was um, encouraged by what the president uh, said and did yesterday. And again, at the same time, I have called for this to be called a climate crisis for several years now. And is there anything that you think Congress can get passed? You've obviously been a big supporter of the Green New Deal, but realistically, that's not going anywhere in the current Congress. Is there anything that you think can make it through Congress and the Senate and get to the president? Well, I continue to keep the door open to legislative um, solutions. Um, I continue to talk to Senator Manchin. I continue to try my best to find a way in which we can make progress on those issues. Now, I'm realistic, uh, but I'm gonna work as hard as I can until it's absolutely impossible. At the same time, encouraging the president to use the strongest possible executive action so that the United States is a leader and not a laggard internationally, because we cannot preach temperance from a bar stool. We have to have actual proof that we are acting, which is why it was great to be there yesterday with John Kerry, the president's climate envoy globally, and Gina McCarthy, the domestic uh, climate czar, to ensure that, that the message was being sent to our country and to the world that we still mean business. And on guns, literally as we are taping this on Thursday, the legislature is working on a bill that would tighten gun licensing standards in response to the US Supreme Court decision in Bruin, which loosened licensing standards uh, in New York, but also trickled down and affected some of Massachusetts's gun licensing standards. Are you concerned that Massachusetts residents will be less safe after the Supreme Court decision on guns? Do you think that there's more the legislature should do? Well, obviously, Massachusetts gun safety laws have driven down the rate of gun violence in our Commonwealth. We're one of the safest in the entire nation. And my concern is that obviously this decision could lead to less safe conditions within the Commonwealth. So I encourage the state legislature to take any new actions they can take in order to fill in the gaps that the Supreme Court may have opened. And I think that it's important for Massachusetts to be challenging the Supreme Court challenging the NRA 
uh, on these issues. Massachusetts has to work to make NRA stand for not relevant anymore in American politics. We should be the leader. And I applaud uh, the state legislature for the uh, actions that they are considering. Do you think Congress will be able to do more on guns? We just had a, a law which we were able to pass in the last month, the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. That was a critical step towards getting weapons out of the hands of uh, dangerous people. But I think that Congress must now go further to save lives and put an end to the gun violence epidemic. Uh, we should reinstate the federal bans on assault weapons and high capacity magazines. We need background checks for anyone buying a gun anywhere in the United States of America. And I think that there is now an upswell of uh, concern about this issue that's gonna manifest itself politically in elections all across our country. I think families across our country are identifying with those families in Uvalde, in Buffalo. They see themselves in those families. And I think that it's gonna be translating into the politics of our country this year. And I'm very hopeful that it will give us the votes we need in order to change the laws that will protect their families. And the decision that has obviously gotten the most attention is the Dobbs decision overturning Roe versus Wade. Um, when the Supreme Court said that the Constitution does not ban abortion and sent that decision back to the states to make. Uh, the Massachusetts legislature is right now working on a bill that would shield in-state abortion providers from prosecutions by other states. There's also ongoing efforts here to make sure that abortion and contraception become more affordable and accessible. From your perspective, as a state where abortion is legal and will remain legal, is the legislature doing the right thing? And is there more that needs to be done to protect abortion rights? No, absolutely. Massachusetts must be a safe harbor for people across the country who are being denied the care they seek in their home states. These are dark times. And I am actually, I'm glad the state house and Governor Baker have taken quick action to support the abortion providers and justice groups that are working to ensure safe travel and care for those uh, who want to get an abortion. Uh, it's a simple fact that we need more pro-choice governors and state legislatures to protect abortion access after uh, this decision. But I think our legislature is showing the way, they're, they're being aggressive, and I think they're going to set a standard that the rest of the country can then use as a model for legislation in their home states as well. And there's been a lot of discussion locally in Massachusetts on a municipal level, a statewide level. And also um, I've heard by Senator Warren about concern about crisis pregnancy centers. These are centers that do not provide abortion care. They will provide other services. They're often religiously affiliated and they try to counsel women away from obtaining an abortion. Um, there's been attempts to regulate them through um, deceptive advertising bans, things like that. Do you see crisis pregnancy centers as a problem? Is that something that you think the state or anywhere nationally should be focused on regulating? Well, Senator Warren is correct to focus uh, her concern on crisis pregnancy centers. She and I sat down with advocates for a strategy session just last month to talk about this issue. And I think her direction is absolutely correct. And I'm proud to support Senator Warren and her Stop Anti-Abortion Disinformation Act, which is going to empower the federal government to crack down on deceptive advertising used by these fake clinics 
and crisis pregnancy centers, because it's just unacceptable that these fake clinics are able to advertise blatant lies to draw in people who are seeking abortion care and manipulate their personal and private medical decisions. And the fact that there are more of these fake clinics than there are abortion providers speaks for itself. And, and we need to make sure that they're properly regulated. We cannot have deceptive practices engaged in. And that is why I support Senator Warren in her uh, uh, efforts. And, and, I, and I applaud her for sounding the alarm on online platforms for students that might be used to criminalize or punish students seeking reproductive health information as well. And you mentioned Justice Thomas's uh, concurring opinion where he mentioned that um, some other rights such as the right to same-sex marriage could potentially be reconsidered. He's the only member of the court that seemed to suggest that, but do you think that that is a serious threat? Is there a danger to other rights that we have today? Well, obviously there is a danger and the right to contraception, for example, is at risk. And that's why today I was proud to introduce the Right to Contraception Act alongside my colleagues, uh, uh, Macy Arono and Tammy Duckworth, because a stolen Supreme Court majority has stolen the right to abortion care and they're just getting started. And Justice Thomas made clear in his concurring opinion in the Dobbs case that the court should reconsider its decades old decision to recognize the right to contraception. So we can't wait any longer. It's time we prevent this court from committing another grave judicial act of injustice. And I think we're going to reach a point where we're going to wind up with a vote on the floor of the Senate, not just on contraception, but also on same-sex marriage. It's time to put the Republicans on record on these issues. It's time to have the political accountability go right to them in their elections, because this is settled law. The precedents are there and the acceptance by the public is there as well. And I think it's time for us in the Senate to put it all out in the Senate floor and make these Republicans vote on these issues that Justice Thomas says they are prepared to repeal, not legislatively, but judicially in the Supreme Court. It's time for the Senate to stand up. It's time for us to force Republicans to vote what they say they believe and to hold them accountable if they don't. And one final question, you mentioned elections. Traditionally, the party that holds the presidency has very often lost seats in a midterm election. Do you think the court is going to be a voting issue? And do you think these recent decisions could help galvanize Democratic voters so that Democrats can retain or win congressional seats in November? I absolutely do. Uh, I think that on climate, that the Sunrise Movement, on campuses across our country, suburban voters are outraged and ready to vote. I think on Roe v. Wade and its repeal after 49 years uh, that women all across our country are ready to act, ready to take control of the political process so they can take control of their own bodies. I think on guns, I think young people and parents across our country are now up and marching. They're not agonizing, they're organizing. I think we're gonna see that in our political system this November. This is a time for action. There hasn't been one like this since the 1960s, but I'm gratified to see the same response 
on the streets of our country. People are up and they're ready to take action. And I think the Republicans are going to rue the day uh, that they allowed this rogue Supreme Court to take control of policymaking in our country. And you can read more on commonwealthmagazine.org. United States Senator Ed Markey, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.